That's pretty encouraging stuff, isn't it? Uh, and I want you to be encouraged with the reality that in the same way that God works in placing neighbors to this church, he's done it on your street as well. You might not know it. It was happening and we didn't know it at first, but God gave us a glimpse into what he was doing with Cesar and Noemi. And so really, really a, a special treat to see God at work. And I hope you'll be encouraged that God is working among those who, is liter- who are literally right beside you. And you may not know it, but uh, don't doubt it. Don't give up on it. Trust that the Lord is working in and through you and who he's placed you beside and who he has placed beside you. So one of the things that we specifically talked about in terms of neighbortude as a church, as they referenced, is that in 40 days, that's when our new Thursday night service begins. It's here fast. That's the Thursday after Easter. And again, it's simply intended to be an opportunity where we as a church can connect with some folks who we don't currently connect with. Like uh, last night, we had about 50 folks over for dinner, and one of the folks who was there first uh, met the chapel, if you will, through a power-up club, but has never actually been, as far as I know, to a worship service thus far because... They absolutely have to work every Sunday morning. And so I was a little caught off guard. They said, after dinner, they said, hey, I'm really looking forward to April 20th. And my mind was going, April 20th, April 20th, April 20th, April 20th. And I was like, yeah, that's the Thursday. So the first time I'll be able to be able to participate in the Thursday night service. So just one example Folks, of how we're looking to say, how would God use us specifically in our neighborhood here with folks maybe you work with or folks who live on your street who they're weekend warriors or weekend workers and Sunday traditional church has not been a landing place for them. But believing what Cesar and Noemi said, that the word of God transforms a person's life and it brings healing to homes and to marriages and families that if there was a context where they could say, on a Thursday night, I could interact with the word of God, that we would believe it would bring transformation to their life individually and to those around them. So looking forward to that, asking you 40 days away, specifically, would you pray with us? We are going to every morning at 7.30 in the morning. That might feel like 6.30 tomorrow morning still. (laughs) 7.30 in the morning, we're going to send out through social media and on our website a specific prayer request as we lead up to Thursday service. So it's a way that we can keep it in front of us and asking the Lord to be at work. So I'd ask you to, if you're not connected with us on social media or you don't check out our website, do so the next 40 days, 7.30, be a new specific prayer request each day. Second, some of you may have as part of your history the process of giving up something in preparation for Easter, and this is the Thursday after Easter. So I want to encourage you, maybe, and this is obviously up to you, but maybe there'd be something specifically you'd say, I'll give up something for 40 days as a reminder to pray. Maybe you'd give up coffee. (laughs) I thought that's what you'd think. 
maybe you'd give up your second cup. It was funny. As I was leading up, I literally saw three people drinking. I was like, this one's not going to go over well. <laughs> maybe you give up your second cup or your third cup. Or you'd say, I'll give up dessert or I'll give up a particular TV. Seriously, you would say, in preparation as a readiness of my own heart, whether you participate or not, not the point, it's that you would prayerfully ask that we would have a gospel impact on this community. So I want to invite you to pray with us and to think about how you would invite and encourage others who might benefit from this. So for the last three weeks, Luke chapter 10, we've been answering this question that a lawyer asked to Jesus, who's my neighbor? He asked it because he wanted to justify who he didn't love. But Jesus answered it in a profound way that causes us to think very spiritually about our neighbors. Now, the dictionary answer to that question is those who literally live beside me and near me. And I don't want us to skip or just go, yeah, who cares about that? No, I want us to care about those who literally live beside us and near us because Quite frankly, a common practice among Christ followers is to leapfrog over, to step over our literal neighbors to go serve somebody. And we've kind of forgotten that the core of how we will shine as lights and how our faith will impact our world is that we would literally, you and I, wherever we live in the city, we would literally love our literal neighbors and not be jumping over them to go of somebody else. So, who's my neighbor? It's literally those who live beside me or near me. And according to the way Jesus summarized all of the law and the prophets, someone who profoundly matters to God. Therefore, if God has placed them beside me and they matter to him, I ought to learn their names. I hope you're still on a quest of learning names. I got an uh, email from a guy this week who said, hey, here's my, here's my log of the folks that I've met so far. And he kind of went through them with a couple sentences on each one. Interesting at the end, he said, and my one neighbor, I think his name was Nick, he said, he has a dog. And everybody knows his dog's name is Copper, but most people think his name is Rick. <laughs> and his name's Nick. So there is the power of the pet to be able to connect with folks. But to learn names, not, not, not just because you're a nice person, because you genuinely, genuinely believe they matter to God and that God is merging our stories. And therefore, because he's merging our stories, we're going to refuse to get in the passing lane. Because when God is merging, I shouldn't be passing. And knowing that he is merging our stories, that I have the privilege then of being there to help when there's a time of need. And, and the key word there, uh, the privilege of helping. Because a detour sign can really be frustrating to us because it's messing up our agenda. So here's how I want us to think about a detour in terms of our neighbors. When, when we have a day planned, when we have our evening plan, we already know what we want to do with the allotted minutes. And then God gives us an opportunity with someone who literally lives beside me or near me. It's actually not a detour. It is God's 
plan that he had for me all along. I had just scheduled something else. I'm actually on the God-ordained road. I was the one taking the detour. See, when I see it that way, now this is a privilege. Curious, any of you have any moments where you went this week, well, okay, there was a detour. God gave me an opportunity, and it kind of messed up, but I saw it as a detour. Any of you have those moments this week? A few of you? Uh, Jackie had one, it was a reminder to me that sometimes it happens to us, and we say, okay, yes, Lord, but then when it happens to somebody else who we're thinking they're going to do something, (laughs) and you go, hey, hey, what's that? Uh, It was a detour. Mm. No, it's good. It's good. Because I am glad to flex when God gives my wife a detour, just like I want to be prepared to flex when God gives a detour in loving our neighbors. So be looking for the, the reason we're putting these signs up here. They remind us this is what it means to drive into our streets with a neighbortude. So this morning, we're going to leave Luke 10, and we're going to specifically look at the tude in neighbortude, because we made up a word for a reason, because we wanted to have a tude toward our neighbors, and the tude comes from not Luke 10, from Philippians 2. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Philippians 2, and we'll get the tude in neighbortude from Philippians 2. We're going to start in verse 5, where it says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also where? Where? In Christ Jesus. So there is an attitude that is in Christ that Paul is saying that tude that he had ought to be in you. The attitude that was in Jesus by which he lived his life ought to be the attitude in us. So, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of Death, even death on a cross. What I find interesting about this text is this. He starts with, have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then instead of talking an attitude, he talks actions. And he actually specifically names five actions that Jesus did. Specifically. He relinquished his rights. (laughs) He relinquished his rights. Now, this I think is the most critical one, so we're going to spend enough minutes to hopefully make sure you capture correctly what it means when it says here in verse 6, although he existed in the form of God, He, that is Jesus, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is, held on to, clinged to. So, when Jesus took on human flesh, did he cease to be God? 
Yes or no? Okay, let's be very, very, very clear. An understanding of Jesus is not that Jesus was in heaven with the Father, and he was God, and he was with God, and then he left his godness in heaven and came and, be, and was made a human on earth. That's not an accurate understanding. He retained, he retained his godness. He continued to be deity. He did not leave it in heaven. It came with him to the planet. But he didn't regard equality, that is the rights to come with God, as something to be held on to. So he was God, but he relinquished his rights as God. Very important. Did you hear me? Jesus remained God. I'm not questioning his deity, but in his humanity, he took the right to be God because he was God, and he laid aside the rights, which then begs the question, what are the rights of God? What are God's rights? The scripture says it really clearly. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He has the right that everybody else on the planet wishes they had. He has the right to do whatever he pleases. That's what makes him God. If God cannot do whatever he pleases, guess what? He has ceased being God. Now, did Jesus have the right to do whatever he pleased? Why? Because he was God. What did he do with those rights? Yeah, he laid them aside. He released them. He did not consider them something that he had to hold on to. This is why, by the way, just in my study this, for this passage, for this message, hit me for the first time maybe, that the scripture is clear that we are to grow into Christ likeness. We'd like to grow into God likeness, which means grow into doing whatever I please. But what we're called to is to grow into Christ likeness, which is to lay aside our rights. That's a pretty significant distinction. That's just not semantics, that's really a critical distinction. Our growing into Christ-likeness is a growing into an action where it says, my rights, I don't cling to them. When you look at the life of Jesus, he says to Philip in the upper room, when Philip says, hey, show us the Father, Jesus says to Philip, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. Why not? Why not? Because he had laid it aside. He had relinquished that right. See, we tend to think, well, if Jesus was God, he came to the planet and he did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He didn't. He only did what the Father told him to do. He only said what the Father told him to say. Because the right to do whatever he wanted, the right to say whatever he wanted, he had relinquished. 
He hadn't relinquished his godness. He'd relinquished the right that comes with it. So I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So that first and most critical action of Jesus is that he took his rights and he released them. And then it says, second action, he emptied himself. And we'll look on Palm Sunday, Sunday before Easter, specifically at this whole idea of emptying himself. And third, he took the form of a bond servant, not the form of a master, not the form of a king, not the form of a leader. He took the form of a bond servant. And he was made in the likeness of man. He took on human flesh. Jesus looked like all the other boys on the street. So that painting with that weird glow over his head, not so much. Fifth, he was obedient even to death. In other words, very simply, if you can picture it, he didn't tap out. He didn't say, hey, I was good with taking on human flesh. Hey, I was good with being a bondservant. Hey, I was good with relinquishing my rights to a point, but I, I'm not relinquishing my rights even to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, you understand what I mean? We tap out long before Jesus didn't tap out. He, didn't, he said a whole way to death on a cross. Now, again, what's fascinating to me about the text is it says, have this what? Attitude or actions? It says, have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then it seems to li- list five actions that he did. So where's the attitude? <laughs> it's, it's underneath your actions and my actions, just like it was underneath the actions of Jesus. So what is the attitude that would support those actions? Well, as you read the scriptures, here's the attitude of Jesus. Jesus is here, the Father is there, and others are there. That's the attitude by which he lived his life. Do you understand it? You still remember third grade, greater, lesser signal, symbol there? Just remember that? He's simply the attitude by which determined the actions of his life was that the Father is greater and others are more important. Otherwise, apart from this attitude, he doesn't do the stuff he did. He taps out. All of our actions, regardless of what you do for your occupation, All of your actions at your work are rooted in some attitude. And that life of Jesus and the actions that we see, how he relates to people, how he relates to religious people, how he relates to irreligious people, how he relates to sick people, how he relates to well people, all of it rooted in this. 
I live under the Father and for others. Now you see where this is going. I'm not sneaking up on you. Have this attitude where? In you, have this attitude in you that was in Christ. Paul says that in Philippians 2 because Jesus had said after his death, burial, resurrection, prior to his ascension, as the Father has sent me, I send you. With with what attitude? (laughs) With the attitude that I lived by so that your actions would look like my actions, but it's rooted in an attitude. So when we talk tood in neighbor-tude, it simply means this. There's you. You see it coming? And Jesus and your neighbor. That's neighbor-tude. And what you do with your neighbors, what you don't do with your neighbors, or to them, it all comes from the tood. Do I really believe I've laid aside my rights? I belong to Jesus. And I will treat them as more important than me. I belong to Jesus, and others are more important. Anytime, really, whether it's with my wife Jackie, with my kids, with my literal neighbors, or with you, where I don't reflect in action Christ, it's because this attitude got whacked. Either this one got flipped, or this one got flipped. Right? It's just, it's just this simple. Have this attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. So, very, very, I think, I hope clearly now, you can answer this question of how having his attitude in actions with my neighbors would look. Two Very simple, but I think essential points. First, that I consider, if I have have his attitude, then I consider my rights as releasable. It's not that I don't have them. It's that I consider them releasable. Now, do neighbors have rights? Do, Do you have rights in your neighborhood? Do you have some rights you don't have in your, can you paint your house purple in your neighborhood? Can you put a front car on blocks in the front of your, what do we call those things? This is a deed-restricted community. That simply means you don't have all the rights that you want. We're gonna have a say and what you can do and what you can't do. And it's always risky to live in one with them, and it's always risky to live in one without them. All depends who your neighbor is. 
But neighbortude simply says beyond my homeowners association, there is a releasability to my rights because many of us consider our home to come with some certain rights. Like this is my house. I get to do what I want here. If I want to work, I'll go to work. If I want to serve others, I'll go to church. But when I come home, I want to park my car in the driveway or if you love your car, put it in a garage and I want to put the door down and I want to go in. And if I want to talk to other people, then I'll go and talk to them. But if I don't want to talk to anybody else, then I'll just stay in my house. It's my right. My home is my haven. Now, am I saying your home should never be your haven? No. Remember, was Jesus still God? Yes, he had rights. He simply relinquished them. I'm simply suggesting to me and to you as well that part of having the attitude of Jesus toward my neighbors is my rights that I have for my home are releasable. There's times that I can say and will say, that's not what I really want to do tonight, but my agenda is releasable. See, it's, we're coming back here to this, right? It's, we get in the passing lane because we want to hold on to our rights. We don't want to take the detour because we want to hold on to our rights. And the attitude, the tood and neighbortood is my rights, not suggesting you don't have them, but because I am following Jesus, they are releasable. The real kicker, though, is <laughs> he took it even to death. And I'm like, maybe till 7.30. <laughs> you know, after 7.30, the rights are back on the table. Dude, dude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, we really are, when we have neighborhood, we are embracing an attitude that says... The rights that I have when I go home are releasable to whatever the agenda of God is for the evening, for the Saturday, for the Sunday afternoon, for the morning. They're releasable because that's how Jesus lived. The second one's going to strike you as potentially a little odd, so let me share it with you and then why. The attitude and action of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus in action with my neighbors is this, that I see my neediness as a necessity. Now you can write that down and you're going, uh, I'll write it down but I have no idea why I'm writing it. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean? The, uh, not only what do you mean, where did that come from in the text? That my neediness is a necessity? What? Here's a question for you. A God question. Does God have needs? I got one shrug. Thank you. 
Uh, any other theologians in the room want to venture the question? Oh, thank you for a verbal. No. Does God have needs? No, I'm not setting you up. You think, oh, I feel like I'm going to get there. No, God does not have, if I'm setting you up, I'm wrong. God does not have needs. If you have needs, guess what? You're not God. But did Jesus have needs? But he was God. But he, he laid it aside, right? So did Jesus have needs? Yeah. Uh, very real needs. See, the part of him taking on the likeness of man and the form of a bondservant was that he became still God, but one with needs. As a baby, he had needs. He needed somebody to feed him and clean him and carry him. And then when he became a child, he had needs to learn to walk. And I mean, think, Joseph and Mary, they're on the floor. You've done this if you've had kids. And walk to mommy. And boom. And Jesus fell on his butt. He did. Because he didn't like walk out of the womb. He had to learn how to walk. Please don't send me an email that I said, but. <laughs> Matt R at cfcjacks.com if you need to send it. <laughs> so he needed to learn to walk. He needed to learn to talk. He needed to learn to read. He, he had need for people. But then he grew out of it, and as an adult, he didn't have need. Actually, he did. It says Jesus was tired and arrested. Jesus had need. He needed, still needed to eat. He still needed to rest. He still needed to sleep. In fact, why did he die on the cross? I mean, literally, physically, why did he die? Because he needed oxygen and he couldn't get it. And prior to that moment on the cross, he sees his disciple John and he sees his mom and he realizes, I'm dying. So he says, mother, behold your son and son, behold your mother. What's he saying? I need you to take care of her because I'm gone. It needs. What's that have to do with neighborhood? It has to do with thinking that the incarnation, God becoming man, was a God taking on neediness. And in that neediness, he had relationship with people. Because apart from that, you don't have relationship. This is so essential. Because somewhere in our thinking, I'm afraid, is this idea that 
that if I am really going to be Jesus on my street, then I'm going to need, excuse me, I'm going to need to show up on my street like this. I am Mr. Incredible, your neighbor. Whatever needs you have, I can meet them. Whatever questions you have, I can answer them. I can chop your tree down. I can fix your car. I can pressure wash your driveway. I can teach your kids. I can heal your marriage. I am Mr. Incredible. Because this is what Jesus would do if he lived on my street. See, don't miss the powerful reality of the incarnation. Was God laid aside his needlessness and took on neediness. And in neediness, there is relationship. See, let me ask you a question. You may think neighbortude is all about helping your neighbors, but do you ever let your neighbors help you? No. No. See, pride, because at core, what's the attitude of Jesus? Humility, under greater. At core, pride says either you will serve me because I deserve it. I am Mr. Incredible. Or I won't let you serve me because I don't need it. I am Mr. Incredible. And when we live that way, when pride either demands or denies, we kill relationship. One way ruins. That's why I named our sermon this morning, One Way Ruins. Because our street sign is way over here. Excuse me as I walk off camera. That was awkward. I'm back. You see it? It simply acknowledges relationship is a give and a, not a take, that's a demand, that's pride. It's a give and a receive. It's a give and a receive. See, you don't need to be Mr. Incredible on your street. You simply need to be a person who can help and can receive help. Don't deny people the opportunity to help you and rob them of what God has intended in relationship. And don't deny them the opportunity to be helped because you're unwilling to take a detour and get out of the passing lane. It's a two-way street. You see it? 
You see, what, what, what kills neighbortude is the, this idea of the guy who said to me, when I move, I always hire a company. That way, when somebody says, hey, can you help me move? I don't feel badly about saying no. They didn't help me. I don't have to help them. Hey, that's great, except you killed relationship in the process. It's protective. It just kills relationship. So, it's a two-way street that comes with what's on there? A hook. What's the hook for? Simply to hang up this silly thing. Seriously. The hook is simply for you to recognize. When you go back home today, hang it up. Whoop. Yeah, just let it fall down. Yeah. Just, just, I need somebody to help me hang this. Just let it fall down. And ladies, if you don't think you're, you think you're exempt here, I wasn't going to put this one on. <laughs> Some of you ladies really think, no, no, no. I have to be superwoman. I'm the giver of help. I'm the giver of answers. And you're killing relationship, and you need to hang it up because neighbortude is a two-way street because the incarnation of Jesus reflected an attitude that said, my, my rights are releasable, and my neediness is a necessity for relationship to live. Is it not at the core of our faith, neediness? You and I cannot be born again until we recognize I need a Savior. I am deserving of the wrath of God and I cannot save myself. Good works will never save me. Only someone who was perfectly sinless could take my sin. I need a Savior. Relationship with God begins with a recognition of neediness. And relationship with your neighbors will only survive with a recognition of neediness. You'll kill it if you try to be Mr. Incredible and Superwoman. And so I want us to remember our neediness before Christ. And so I'm going to invite the men to come and to share with us the elements of the Lord's Supper. If this is new to you, they're simply going to pass a plate with some bread on it. And we tear this bread off as a symbol. And guys, you can go ahead and pass. We tear it off as a symbol that Christ's body was broken for me. So that who, me, who was broken, could be healed by his brokenness. And you're going to get a tray with a bunch of little cups in it. I invite you to take a cup. It is the reminder that the blood of Christ shed on the cross was for the forgiveness of our sin. This is humility 
to the ultimate, right? Death, even death on a cross. And so as it's passed and you think about having in you the attitude of Jesus, would you repent very specifically? Don't be distracted right now. Would you take a few quiet moments and confess any expressions of pride that work their way out in your life, your words, your actions? Confess it. It's totally contrary to the humility, the attitude of Jesus. together Psalm 121 let's read this I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to slip he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade on your right hand the sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. You follow along. Let's declare together our reliance on Him, our neediness. I rely on I rely on you. My 
my weakness you're strong as each new day dawns I rely on you He is where our help comes from Nowhere my help comes from Scripture says, for God so loved the world, his neighbor, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe on him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And and as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see it? The father gave we receive. Relationship is rooted in giving and receiving. And the scripture says, we who have received, we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to him. And so we give our lives for his glory. Because relationship is rooted in receiving and giving. From the Father's standpoint, giving and receiving. From our standpoint, receiving and giving. The necessity of our neediness this way and this way. With gratitude for relationship with the one who has given us himself, would you take Father, we are so blessed, so filled with gratitude in this moment of your graciousness and sending your Son and Lord Jesus for your obedience, even to the point of death, for your relinquishing of your rights and emptying yourself and taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. Thank you for giving of yourself that we might receive life abundant and eternal. And thank you that having received, we can give. Recognizing you are our owner. We can live our lives for you. What a great joyful privilege. Thank you for it in Christ's name. Let's stand together and let's declare our acknowledgement that because we have received, it's our privilege to yield to him. Letting go of 
my pride, giving up all my rights, take this life and let it shine, 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 take this life and let it shine. I lay me down, I'm not my own, I belong to you alone. Lay me down, lay me down. Hope you guys have a blessed day. Go and be a great neighbor today.